take your Bibles, if you would, this evening, turn to Genesis. Genesis one more time, Genesis one more time, chapter 35 tonight as we look, one last look at the life of Jacob, the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 35, Lord willing, next time we're going to go into the book of Exodus, we've already looked at the life of Joseph and that's pretty much what happens from here on out, there's a few other chapters on other things, but primarily we covered the life of Joseph when we did that a few years ago. But we will jump into Exodus, and even though we've talked about Moses, and we'll talk about him again, we're going to look at some of the more details of, of, uh, of Exodus and uh, ask the Lord to lead us there. So Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1 this evening, Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee, when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said unto his household, and to all that are with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go to, up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the, in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Verse 6, And Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that are with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died when she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bekathoth. And God appeared unto Jacob again, and he came out of Pandararam and blessed him. And God said to him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give I, to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and poured out a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil there, there on. And Jacob called the name of the place where he, he, God spake with him Bethel. Verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrathah. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died that she called his name Benoni, but his father called his name Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And they journeyed and spread his tent towards the tower of Edar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. Sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, and Levi, Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, 
the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpha, Leah's handmaid, Gad, Asher, these are the sons of Jacob, which were born him in Pandaram. And Jacob came unto Isaac his father in Mamre, the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where or Abram and Isaac journeyed. Verse 28, in the days of Isaac, 104 score years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people. Being old and full of days, his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Gracious Father, we just thank you again for this opportunity on this Sunday evening to be in your house, Lord, to proclaim your word. We're so thankful for it, and I pray, Lord, that from your word tonight and through thy spirit, that you would help us again to learn the lessons, hard lessons, difficult lessons from the life of this one who's gone before us and not make the same mistakes that would destroy our lives as these people that we read about. But help us, Lord, in the things that they've done good, and they did many things good. Help us, Lord, to try to achieve those things in this life so we will have peace with you and fellowship with you and have more opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Bless tonight. Give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've come to this last chapter basically on Jacob's spiritual life. Of course, we will, at the end of this book, as we've looked at it, uh, Jacob will be involved. He'll be involved, of course, in what happens to his sons and their mischievousness, uh, their mischievous, mischievousness uh, that they, that they uh, did. And we've read about that in the life of, life of Joseph. We'll leave the fact that he was bereaved because they, he thought they, he thought as they had lied to him about, about Joseph and being torn up uh, by animals when he really wasn't. He was sold, of course, to, to Egypt, ultimately to Egypt. And we would read about his life, how he went to Egypt, spent probably about 17 years there before uh, he ultimately died. But we see, as we go back just a little bit, that first of all, how in, in chapter 28, how God saved Jacob. Then in chapters 29 through 32, how God subdued Jacob. Uh, verse chapters 33 and 34, as we looked at last week, how God separated Jacob. But in chapter 35, we're looking at how God sanctified Jacob. How God sanctified Jacob, and that's the title of the message tonight, how God sanctified Jacob. Sanctification merely means to draw closer, and we're going to look at some verses about that. But we all, hopefully in the Christian life, desire, and naturally a Sunday night crowd is a little different than a Sunday morning crowd. Some folks come on Sunday morning because it's just such a thing to do, and I'm glad they do. A lot of folks do things, you know, like eat, and I'm glad they do. And some folks go to church like they go to eat because it's just something they do on Sunday morning. Sunday night crowd, you're a little more serious about that. And Wednesday night crowd, even more serious about that because it's in the middle of your, middle of your week. Many of you worked all day long. You're tired. You still come to, 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 to Wednesday night, and I'm thankful for that. But we're going to look at basically three different locations tonight, Bethel, Ephrata, and Mamre. Uh, these are the areas where we'll be looking at. Of course, there's going to be some four, four burials and a couple funerals. And Jacob now is is beginning to say goodbye to the things of this life. And God in his mercy does things for us that we won't do, to our, do for ourselves. It's like you pay lots of money to go to college, thousands and thousands of dollars, for them to do something for you that you would never do to yourself. <laughs> now you have the capacity to do those things for yourself. 
if you would be disciplined to do it, but you actually have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for have somebody basically say, if you don't study this, you're going to fail. Now, you could get, uh, gather that information, and if you were serious and disciplined and do it yourself, oh, it might be a little more, more difficult, but you could do it. But what God does in his love, he separates us from the world. That's what's what a, a, a good father keeps his children from evil. He keeps them from doing that which is, that would destroy him. Now, obviously, a man has his free will, but thank God he has a will as well. So we see, first of all, to Jacob as a believing man. Jacob as a believing man. We see back in verse 1, God said to Jacob, Rise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Make thee an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. You know before this, as we looked at last week, that <coughs> Jacob is coming from a, a difficult time in his life where he was kind of in a, a backslidden state of, of, of mind. He was in Shechem. He was living not far from a city. Of course, Dinah, being the young lady that she was, an adventurous, went into Shechem and, and got into a relationship of a man by the name of, of Shechem, uh, Hamar's son. And believe, we believe he, she, uh, she was um, abused there, sexually abused there. And because of that, Simeon and Levi, her brothers, uh, went into town uh, after some negotiations about the situation. And basically, after some time, while they were, had been circumcised, the Bible says that they slew all the men in the city and uh, took their wives and children captives and cattle and animals. And it was a grievous, terrible thing. And much of this was because Jacob did not take care of the things that he should have as being a parent and being the person that he should have been in the spiritual guide. He had the opportunity to, but unfortunately, he was silent. And we spoke about those things. But thankfully... God gives us more opportunities in life. Aren't you glad that God forgives sin and that God is always pursuing us? He wants us to come back to him. And even after Jacob had basically been a failure in the eyes of the people all around him, God says to him, come back in verse 1, arise and go back, go up to Bethel. And you know what, dear friends? That's what God wants of all of us. He desires all of us to come back to him. To, to arise and go back to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God, the place of God, the place of fellowship, the place where God is at. Oh, how wonderful it is to be in the place where God wants us to be. We see the purpose of this to, to, uh, the, pur the purpose of this place. It's, it's, a, it's a place of fellowship. It's a place where he needs to be. It's a place where he can teach. It's a place where he can lead. It's a place where he can be successful. The center of God's will is always where you want to be in life. The center of God's will is always where you want to be in a place. It starts with a place. But not only does it start with a place, secondly, it's, it's with the purpose. He said, be there, be at this place called Bethel. But secondly, dwell there. Build an altar there. Now, Bethel was about a dozen miles north of Jerusalem, but a thousand feet higher in, in elevation. This is a place where Melchizedek, uh, as we looked at during the life of Abraham, had lived. This is a place, of course, where he had first met an encounter with God as he was traveling from uh, the, time, the place of Isaac and, and uh, Rebekah to his family, that, that nearly 500-mile journey. So here's the place where he'd been, a place where he'd seen God, and he'd left. 
So it was a place, it, was, it had a purpose, and it was a place of preparation. It says, go, before you go there, dwell, delight yourself in God by being right with God. He says, put, strange, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Before he went to that place, God said, now, before you go there, I want you to do something. I want you to separate yourself. I want you to sanctify yourself. And as I looked at this word sanctify or separate, it's throughout the scriptures. Moses said it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, before the law was given. He says, he said, draw not uh, nigh hither, but put off thy shoes before off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Before his calling, before he was going to go and, and rescue the people from, from, from Egypt, he had to separate himself by taking his shoes off. Uh, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, the Lord said unto, said unto Moses, Go unto thy people and sanctify them today or tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Prepare yourself. Be clean. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, before they went into the land, he said, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you as they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. David, David said in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12, and he said to them, you are the chief of the fathers of Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may be bring up the ark of God of Israel into the place I prepared for you. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, sanctify them, clean them up, separate them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You say, well, how do I get clean? By reading the word of God. By spending time in his word. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, verses we looked at on Wednesday night. But, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, before you are going to be in the house of worship, before you're in a place of service, you must be clean. I hope before you came to church, either last night or this morning, you took a shower or a bath. You cleaned yourself up. You got, you got freshened up. You got yourself bodily, physically prepared. But it's not just a physical thing. It should be a spiritual thing. There should not be a day or a, yay, a week that goes by that you don't spend time with God confessing your sin. The Bible says we confess our sins. Confess your fault, confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. We're to confess our faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. When's the last time you prayed to God and asked him to, con to, to, to forgive you of your sins? To be clean. Now, dear friend, if you walk around all the time focusing on what other people do, but you never spend time asking God to forgive you, that's a problem. That's a problem. We spend so much time pointing fingers at other people instead of having that old finger point back at ourselves. Because often in time, let me be honest with you, the thing that you see in other people's lives is the same thing you struggle with yourself. Sometimes people come to me and they'll cancel me and say, oh, preacher, do you know so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is doing that? And I think to myself, you're doing the same thing, just don't nobody tell you. You're doing the very, very same thing, just don't want you. You, you, you afraid somebody tell you. It's the truth. It's the truth. Be clean, be clean, be clean. That's something we should do each day. So we see, first of all here, his desire for spiritual vitality, but secondly, his spiritual victory. It says in verse 5, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was from the cities that were round about them, and did not pursue after the sons of God. So remember, he'd caused a ruckus. People, 
uh, people talk when they see a whole city destroyed like Shechem and the, and the men destroyed and the women and, and children taken captive. People around are going to take notice and say, what's going on? What's going on? And naturally, they'll want to try to defeat their enemy before Jacob and his sons has the opportunity to defeat them. So what do they do? What does God do? Well, God allows, basically brings a terror upon the people so they're not attacked by the other people. Because Jacob now is in a right place, God gives him protection. There is no telling how often God has protected us because we're in the right place. Dear friend, that's why I say to people, be in church. It's hard to do bad when you're in church. <laughs> hey, when you're in God's house, in fellowship with God, and fellowship with other people, one thing for sure, you're probably not going to be doing a whole lot of sinning. Be in the right place when you're supposed to be there. How many Christians should be in God's house on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or a Wednesday night? And they're out there living a life that they know they should, shouldn't be living. Be the right place. We, wanna be, we, wanna be, we want God's blessing. And when, when we're in the right place, God gives us his blessing. He gives us his protection. He gives us his care. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from to speak no guile. Let him eschew, cast away, get rid of evil and do good and seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to the prayers but the face of the Lord against them that do evil. So we who want God's blessing, we who want good God's presence, we have a special protection from God himself. And dear, dear friends, I covet that protection. I covet that care, and I hope you do too. I hope you're thankful for the blessing and protection that you have because you are a Christian. So we see his spiritual victory, but thirdly, his spiritual verity or seeking the truth. God was bringing Jacob back to a basic truth that his relationship with God was very important. We see his relationship to God was confessed anew. He built an altar there called Bethel, meaning El Bethel, meaning the mighty God of the, of the house of God. This is one of the only times in scripture that God himself tells him to build, build a house there. So he's renewing a relationship. He's going back to truth. But all while he's there, and true as much as life, he has to bury a friend. The Bible says he buries there Deborah. Now, interesting enough, Deborah is kind of a, a nanny or a, a friend or helper to, to Rebecca. Uh, he's Rebecca's nurse. And, of course, when you go back, we don't really see an instance where he goes back. That certainly Jacob does go back and spends time with his mother, Rebecca, and Isaac. And there, uh, Rebecca, I'm sure uh, I, uh, Jacob sees tells her the need since they have children uh, with several different wives as we're going to look at again. And there's a different need for a nanny or a helper in that situation. So he has to bury a, new, a, new, uh, a dear friend. So we see Jacob's relationship to God was confessed, but we see also that it's confirmed anew. It says in verses 9 through 13, it says in verse 9, And God appeared unto Jacob. God appeared unto Jacob. And Jacob was given a personal name, verses 9 and 10. It says, And God appeared to Jacob again and, and came out of Panoram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called that anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Now, we had seen this before, 
the fact that God was going to change his name from Jacob to Israel, but now God confirms it again. So we see his name, his personal name. We see his promised fame in verse 11. And God said, I am the God of God Almighty, be fruitful, multiply a nation, a company of nations shall be, and kings shall come out of thy loins. The same promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac, his father and grandfather, as we see in verse 12, are given to him. He's going to have a personal name, a promised fame, and a perpetual claim. Verse 12, and, and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I will give uh, to thee, and will I give it, and to thy seed after thee, will I give the land. So we see that his relationship is confirmed anew and then it's claimed anew in verse 15 he says in verse 15 the bible says in verse 15 and jacob called the name of the place where god spake to him bethel the house of god the house of god and he stayed there what a wonderful thing that god that jacob had made a decision to be there where god had met with him before dear friend if you ever get away from god find find realize it accept it and go back to where he was. I've met a many a person that told me, Preacher, I remember the time and place where I got out of God's will. What's well, a wonderful thing to, to realize it. But more than realizing when you got out of God's will, it's the fact that you need to realize to go back to God's will. To go to that place where he met you, where he met you, where he where he where he where he where he was at, where he where you dwelt with him and fellowship with him and 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 loved him like you had not before. For some, it's just it's it's simply for for confessing your sins and and getting back in church. I meet so many people as I mentioned this morning who used to go to church but don't go to church anymore. Uh, sometimes because of a broken relationship, sometimes because of a hurt or pain or suffering. Oh, dear friend, how wonderful it is to get back into God's house and to love him and let him lead him. The Bible says that here at this place, he poured out, he poured out an offering unto God. And where, where God's blessing is, is a place where we can serve him. The wonderful thing about being in church is a place of not only of sacrifice, and we see Christ sacrifice on the cross for us, but we get to sacrifice and to serve him. The greatest blessing for, for me, and I'm sure for you, is getting to do things for God. Oh, so many people come and say, man, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do this. I'd love to do this. And dear friends, that's something that's good for us now. It brings glory to God now, but ultimately it will be warded later, as we've seen in the book of Revelation. So we see Jacob as a believing man, but secondly, we see Jacob as a bereaved man in verses 16 through 19. Unfortunately, in verse 16, Jacob does something crazy. And he, he goes back to his old ways. The Bible says in verse 16, and they journeyed from Bethel. I don't quite understand that. Here he is in a place of fellowship. Here's in a place of sweetness. Here's in a place of, of God blessing him. And he leaves it. Same way I can't understand why a lot of God's folks can't be on Sunday morning at church. I don't understand it. It's past, my, it's past what I can reason, reason. It's past what I figure out. That they know they've been taught from their childhood, from their youth, to need to be in God's house. They know it's a place of blessing. They know it's a place where they should be. But for whatever reasons, and there are many, many reasons that they will give you. I've heard just about every one of them. But every once in a while I hear a new one. They will say, I can't be in, I can't be in God's house. 
for whatever reason, Jacob leaves God's place. He leaves Bethel. And isn't it by coincidence? And dear friend, let me say to this in all honesty, when you get out of God's will, it isn't by coincidence that bad things start happening to you. Dear friends, this is not just about luck or chance. Get luck and chance out of your vocabulary as a Christian. That's all paganism. Oh, hey, I'm not in fellowship with God. Maybe God's causing the problems in your life right now directly because he's trying to get you back right with him. Listen to his voice. Whenever there's a problem in your life, don't look and say, it's somebody's fault. It's that person's fault. It's somebody else's fault. Whenever there's trouble in your life, first thing you do and say, God, is it my fault? But dear friend, that's the last thing we want to do because we have a hard time being honest with ourselves. It's so much easier to do the same thing that Adam did. The woman thou has given me. Or the husband thou has given me. Or the job thou has given me. Or the circumstance you've placed me in. Or this or that. Instead of saying, Lord, is the reason I have a problem in my marriage me? Is the problem the reason why I'm having financial problems me? Is the reason why I have cancer or sickness or pain or suffering me? Do you ask yourself that? I know it's easier to say, somebody else I'm not and again I'm not saying that's always the case because we read Job right and we look at the book of Job we know it had nothing to do with Job Job as we know feared God and eschewed or hated evil he put away evil from him. it was something going on supernatural that Job could not understand and of course we know sometimes it's the devil tempting us but ultimately, we know that God is the ultimate authority, allows it to happen for a purpose and a reason. But what I'm saying to you, dear, when you have troubles in life, always first ask yourself, is the reason I'm having this trouble because of me? And we see here, verse 16, he leaves, as soon as he leaves, as soon as he leaves Bethel, and they journey from Bethel, and there was but a little way. He hadn't got hardly out the way from Bethel. Just a little way come to Ephrathah and Rachel travailed. Now, again, she's pregnant. Don't make sense to me. Why in the world is this man traveling when his wife is pregnant with her second son? Why are you traveling? Now, we know Mary had the trouble because there was a census, a taxation. There had to be, and I'm sure there was difficult times when people had to do so. But he was in a place of God's blessing. Why is she, why is there, why are they traveling to this place? What caused him to leave the blessing, the presence of God? But a little way they come to Ephrathah and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor, and it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said, And her, fear not, for thou shalt have a son also. What was this? This would be Benjamin. Jacob would bereaved of his favorite, his favorite wife, as we've looked in the past. The loss of Rachel, Jacob's strange mistake. Why, why, why did he do that? And I ask myself so many times when I see people make huge decisions, bad decisions in my life. I wonder why. What motivates a person to choose wickedness if they know in their hearts of hearts will destroy us, will destroy me, will destroy anything. 
And it brings me back to that song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's that nature that is not sanctified, that God in his sovereignty chose not to totally cleanse us from. That old man, that carnal nature that still yearns and and desires that which would destroy us. And as we've looked at a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 7, that's exactly what Paul spoke about. That old man, that fleshly desire. And that is the voice which we must on a regular day, basis, daily, as Brother Pete said this morning in Sunday school, sometimes hourly, sometimes every few minutes, say no to. Because if you listen to that voice, it will lead you to the path of destruction. And that's exactly what happened here. We're told of Jacob's sudden misery. Rachel wanted to call him Benomi, meaning the son of my sorrow. And he could not look at this young babe, this innocent child, and call him son of my sorrow every day. And as she was dying, he said, no, I'm not going to call him Benomi. I'm going to call him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand, the son of my right hand. So Jacob died, was buried, her tomb remains as a landmark to this day, as it said. Think about David Livingston. I read about him a little bit. This warrior for the faith that was instrumental in many, many people coming, many people coming to, to saving faith in Africa. He was married to a woman born by name Mary, and she struggled physically. She had, they had little ones. They had children. Lifestyle in England was a little bit different in Africa, just a wee bit, just a wee bit. She wasn't doing very well, and she went back to England. It wasn't too long after she went back to England, she, Livingston began to hear the whispers, oh, Livingston doesn't like his wife. Livingston doesn't care about his wife. Livingston wants her far as way as possible. And unfortunately, just like Jacob, Livingston made a difficult decision and asked for his wife to come back to Africa. And being the obedient wife that she was, she did. She lived, she got sick, and she died in Africa. He said, Mary, oh, Mary, I loved you when I married you. I, lo I love you. The longer I live with you, the more I love you. Oh, Mary, how often long for a quiet, peaceful home in our own since we were cast adrift in Africa. He knelt there in Africa, buried her under a tree, broken, realizing, possibly doubting himself for making that decision. We see the loss of Rachel. But secondly, in verses 22nd through 26, we see the lust of Reuben. Look at it again in verse 22. And the Bible says, And came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land, that's Jacob, of course, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, Israel, heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. Bilhah, of course, was Rachel's handmaid. Now we remember from we studied in the past the dastardly deed of his father-in-law, Laban, who tricked him, and first he married even though he didn't realize it, he woke up that day and was married to Leah, though he thought it was Rachel. And eventually he worked seven more years for Rachel. They both had handmaids, as we see here, we read about it. 
and Jacob had relationships with, with both these women, Leah and Rachel and their handmaids. And while Reuben, while Jacob was away, probably burying his wife and, and grief and sadness of that, Reuben, who was the oldest, has a relationship with his father's concubine by the name of Bilhah, who was Rachel's handmaid. And the Bible says he heard it. Doesn't say he does a whole lot about it. He just heard, he hears it. Interesting, it does not say Jacob hears it. The Bible says Israel heard it. Israel heard it. All the wickedness, immorality that was going on in that home was not a great example for their children. God always hates sexual immorality. You study the scriptures. Just look in your index or in some type of search, fornication, and you will always see it at the top of the list of the lists of sins. There's something about committing that one sin that is more dastardly, more deceitful, more destructive, more divisive than any sin in the entire scriptures. And at the end of Reuben's life, though Israel does not say anything about him, as we know from right now, he does when, when Jacob, or, or now Israel, is giving the blessings and curses over his children. Say about Reuben, his firstborn. What does he say about him? He says, unstable as water. That's pretty bad. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest it. He went up to my couch. Old man Israel, before he died, he said, hey, Reuben, I didn't say a whole lot about it back then. I'm sure he was grieving the loss of his dear wife, Rachel, but he said, Reuben, what you did, I know, and more important than I know, God knows. And dear friend, let me say to you, you may think you get away with that kind of stuff, and nobody knows, but let me tell you, I promise you, God knows. And the Bible says about this type of immorality or adultery in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound in his dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. There's something about adultery, something about fornication, that God says, as long as you live, oh, yes, he will forgive you and thank God for his forgiveness. But the reproach of it in this life shall not be wiped away. Paul, the apostles, had so much to say about it. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee fornication. Every, man that a, every sin that a man doeth in his, is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, first on the list, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, wanting that which you should not have, covetousness, which is idolatry. What is the will of God? Some people, some people say, what is the will of God? Well, Paul says, one of the will of God is to give thanks, and we're getting ready to do that, thank God. But another way, another thing that he says is the will of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. This is the will of God. You know what the will of God for you is? 
will of God, even your sanctification, your spiritual growth, if you want to grow spiritually, this is what Paul the Apostle said, that ye should abstain, stay away from, get away from it, run from it, flee fornication. If you want God's will in your life, you have to get away from fornication with everything about you. Dear friends, Christians, brothers and sisters of Christ, stay away from it. Stay away. Jacob's bereaved of his favorite. Secondly, Jacob's bereaved of his father. Verse 27, and Jacob came to Isaac, his father, to Mamre in the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. The days of Isaac were 104 score years, 180 years. And Isaac gave up the ghost. He died. He gathered his people. Being old and full of days, the sons of Esau and Jacob there, thankfully, he had patched things up with Esau, so Esau was not willing to, looking to kill him. They had the time to spend together as brothers to bury first, of course, their mother, Rebecca, and now this dear patriarch, Isaac. Now look at Isaac's, I mean, Jacob's life. It's a life that goes up and down. It's a life that it seems in moments there is just a shipwreck. And then it's a life when he chooses to, which is so sweet. I was thinking about the, that very thing yesterday as I was leaving here to help clean up after the hurricane. After I graduated from high school, I had an opportunity, as I've told you in the past, to travel with the Academy of Arts Christian Drama Team. And one of the young men on the team with me was named Paul Trost. His ancestors were from Russia, and they lived outside of Philadelphia, a place called Lansdale. And I got to spend a couple of days with him. I played in The Life of David, which is a play that he and I had, were on that summer. I played just like people like Mephibosheth, Uriah the Hittite. You know, He played Abner, the song Strong Soldier. Paul was the big guy. Big, strong, tough guy. So we would stay, I'd stay at his house in the morning. His dear mother would make us some cakes in the morning, some sweet cakes and coffee. And Paul then would put on some classical music. Now, I grew up with rock and roll. But Paul said classical music helped him enjoy his morning meal. So he put on some Edvard Grieg in Morning Mood. He put on some Rachmaninoff, and that's not rock and roll, folks. And he played his second concerto number two. And if you know anything about that piece, this man was a Russian writer, and it's one reason why Paul liked him so much. Places in that is rough and strong. The piano playing is difficult almost to listen to because it's so... Just so, so it's almost like crazy if you want to put it in a, in a uh, term that we could maybe uh, um, understand. But then in this, I believe it is the, the second movement, it is some of the sweetest music that mortals can hear. It's beautiful. And as soon as I pulled out of here yesterday, I heard that again, which I hadn't heard in years. And it reminded me of the Christian's life. In so many ways, our lives are rough and difficult because we choose it. Because we do things that are just out of 
just out of whack. Things that are just wrong. Things that are going to destroy us. And every once in a while, we come to a place like Bethel. A place of peace. A place of sweetness. A place of joy. A place of fellowship. A place of wonder. A place of blessing. And I wonder tonight, where are you? Where's your life? Life is crazy. Time, life is trouble. Life is difficult. Have you put yourself there? Have you put yourself there? Are you in that sweet place? A place of blessing. A place of growth. The place of wonder. The place of awe. The place of bliss. Where are you tonight? Maybe you need to make a U-turn. Because I was heading home on 40, on 39th, going up 43rd, heading to Turkey Creek. Right there as you turn left on 43rd, someone turned around. And you know what I, is I noticed? When someone turns around there, they're looking for traffic, but everybody has to pause and look at their life, look at their car as they're turning around. Maybe God is wanting you to do a U-turn in your life. The question is, are you willing to? Are you willing to go back to God? You say, preacher, I'm here physically. Oh, dear friend, you may be here physically, but maybe you're not here spiritually yet. Maybe you're not here spiritually. Maybe you're not where God wants you to be spiritually. Go back to where you know God wants you to be. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you constantly pursue us. Oh, we stumble, we fall, we struggle. We go through so many difficult days and we put ourselves in positions. It is hard to believe we even find ourselves there. Oh, God, bring us back tonight. If you're here tonight and you know Christ is your Savior, I hope you'll receive him. I hope you'll place your faith in him who died for you, and after, during the invitation, if you'd like to come and talk to Brother Clayton, if you're a man or if you're a woman, you'd like to talk to my wife about how to be saved, we desperately invite you, we encourage you to be here and join us in fellowship with the saints by trusting in Christ as your Savior. If you're here tonight and you say, Preacher, I'm not where I should be, would you come back to him? Is your life in disarray? Is your life in trouble? If you find yourself going through difficulty, could it be you? Could it be you? As the piano plays, let's stand to our feet. Would you come back to God tonight? Would you come back to Bethel? Live for him who gave up everything for you. Oh, won't you come?